for me, for today, when we think of Christmas, so everything that we've talked about in the previous two weeks, everything that you know, we obviously think of Jesus' birth. That's what we celebrate. We obviously, we think of the angels. We know the story of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and the manger. We, we get that. We celebrate the fact that Jesus left heaven and came here to earth. That's what we celebrate on Christmas. We know that. Those are all great, great things. Um, however, today, I want you to see even more. We're going to dive a little deeper. We're going to go a little against the grain of Christmas, and I think it's going to be so, so good. So here's the thing. I believe that the Christmas season, the Advent season in a whole, should be a key reminder of not just that Jesus was sent, but why he was sent. And when we understand that, really, the Christmas and Advent season should really teach us and remind us of what our purpose here as Christians should be. And so, with that in mind, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 17. I know this is not a very common passage when you're thinking of Christmas, but just hang on with me for a few moments, and hopefully we'll see these great, great truths from God's Word and see how it ties into uh, the promise of Christmas. And so, give a little context of John 17. This is uh, a prayer. This is Jesus' prayer directly to the Father. This is the most detailed prayer that we receive in Scripture from Jesus' mouth. Um, his mouth, sorry. This prayer is the conclusion of the previous four chapters of John. So if you was to start reading in John chapter 13, um, this is when Jesus and the disciples start, they come together to celebrate the Passover meal. You might know it as the Last Supper. Um, this setting, think about the setting of this prayer, it's in the upper room. And so if you're familiar with any of those stories, that's where this prayer is taking place. Um, this prayer begins in chapter 13. So uh, some of the things that we get from chapter 13 through 16 um, that you may remember, they're very familiar. It's when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He tells one of them that they will betray him soon to come. We know that to be Judas. Um, he gives them the new commandment that you shall love one another, and that's how the world will know that we are your people, your disciples, by the way that we love one another. He tells Peter that he will deny him three times. He tells the disciples that he's the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He promises the Holy Spirit in these passages. We get the vine, John 15, we get the vine and the branches of when we abide in Jesus, he abides in us. We can do no thing apart from Jesus. Um, the, this all, really the 13 through 16 was the clearest, most profound teaching that he has given the disciples in all three years of ministry together. So much that at the end of chapter 16, the disciples say in verse 29, Ah, you are, you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus responds like, do you now believe? Like, really, after all you've witnessed, all you've heard, three years by my side, and now you believe after I tell you this thing, these things clearly? He's kind of like, are you serious? Um, but after all of this, he concludes in chapter 17 by closing in prayer with his disciples. Um, he's, he turns to heaven. He prays to his Father. This prayer has so much packed into it. But this morning, I'm just going to show you two key takeaways of how we should remember the, and how we should remember these takeaways every time we think of Christmas. And so, just to dive right in, that number one thing that I have that this, 
this takeaway, just an overview takeaway of this prayer from Jesus is the authenticity of Jesus, specifically who he is and why he came into our world. If we don't know those two things, then we're celebrating. We don't know why we're truly celebrating Christmas. And so we get these right here in the verse, first few verses of John 17. So if you're with me, I'm, I'm in verse 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your God that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So I'm just going to go kind of verse by verse through these five, these first five. So just as I begin to study this, I often, it's wise to go to a commentary after you've kind of accumulated some thought just to see what the theologians, the very wise, intelligent people have gone. I've got the Matthew Henry um, commentary. I opened it up. There's three full pages of commentary for just these five verses alone. And it's just, it's not like, oh, I read those three pages and I can walk away. I would have to read chunk, little paragraph by paragraph and go to the gym and walk around just to process all that was in like three sentences of him breaking down this. So there's so much packed into here. I'm just going, what I'm doing today is just going to give you an overview of what Jesus is praying here. So in verse 1, Jesus distinguishes the difference between the Father and the Son. He gives us this reality that the two glorify one another. Father, glorify me so that I can glorify you. In verse 2, the authority, so the God, God the Father had the authority. The authority was the Father's, yet he gave that authority to the Son. The authority was over all flesh, all mankind, all human being that was then and is to come. The second half of this verse tells us why that authority was given to him, to give eternal life to all mankind. That's why he was given this authority, to give them eternal life. Verse 3, he defines eternal life for us. And not what eternal life is, but how one may obtain it. Um, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Verse 4, Jesus glorified God on earth by accomplishing his work. That was one of his... Oh, we're, I'm not going to jump ahead. Jesus glorified God on earth by accomplishing the work that God gave him to do. In verse 5, Jesus asked God to glorify him in God's presence. Not for a brand new time, not for the first time ever. He said, with the same glory that I had with you before the world existed. So that points us all, all the way back to Genesis when he says, let us make man in his image. Jesus belonged in heaven. That's where he belonged. He had that glory, and he was sent from the Father to here, that, to earth, to this world, and that's what we celebrate on Christmas. This alone, that alone, these five verses, this prayer should scream Christmas to us. You have Jesus, the Son, who was sent down to this place by the Father. This is the same person who God promised would defeat the enemy in Genesis 3. This is the same child Matt talked about last week that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9. And he didn't come by his own accord. He was sent by the Father for a specific purpose. And Jesus himself knew this. 
John echoes this all throughout his book more than any other gospel. John got this. Listen to everywhere. You can bear with me. I encourage you when I start reading these verses to maybe write the verse down so you can go and do your own study on this. Um, everywhere Jesus himself, every verse that I'm about to read is Jesus speaking to someone of himself of this fact. And this is just in the book of John alone. So you all know John 3:16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 4:34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5, 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the work the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. John 6, 38 and 40, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 7, 28 and 29, Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. John 8, 42 Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. John 10, 36 through 38, do you say to him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. John 12, 47 to 50. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to, the, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Continues on, for I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And finally, in 1837, not the year 1837, John chapter 18, verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a, I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. He knew his purpose, he, and he accomplished it to absolute perfection. This is why he was sent here. This is what we celebrate at Christmas year after year, and we see that in the first five verses of this prayer to the Father. All right. That's, that's the first one. We, we know the authenticity of Jesus. If we don't know that, why, who he is and why he came, we don't know what to celebrate at Christmas. He tells us all this in those first five verses. I think the rest of this prayer that you can see, you'll find our second point is our purpose as believers. Your purpose as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as a believer. So if you're, this Bible doesn't, I was going through my NIV Bible, it breaks John chapter 17 into chunks. Yours might do that, it may not. Verses 1 through 5, it says, 
It's Jesus' prayer for himself. Verses 6 through 19, that's Jesus praying directly for the disciples in that room. Um, and then 20 through 26, as Jesus moves that prayer into future believers and the church, the future church. It's so good. And so, um, so number two, the two, number two key, oh my goodness, second key takeaway, our purpose as believers, and not every specific detail of your, pur- of your life purpose, but our core purpose as a Christ follower. This should be our heartbeat in all that we do. If you've been walking your Christian walk for any time at all, if you are a believer, you've probably heard sometime or another that you need to find your purpose, right? Like your God-given purpose here on earth. I believe that to be true. However, I believe that many Christians live a large portion of their lives waiting for a very specific purpose to be revealed to them before they do anything at all for the advancement of God's kingdom. What I want you to see in the remainder of Jesus' prayer this morning is that you have a purpose. We have a purpose plainly given to us by Jesus himself in Scripture. It should be at the core of every single one of us. Let's pick back up in the text. Look back at John 17, verse 6. Like I said, this is where he, trends, he moves this prayer into praying for his disciples. And so I did a little quick study on this. So this is, I thought he was praying, the, the 12, I just imagine the 12 disciples are in this room together. He's, he's preached them, he's taught them, and now he's praying for them. But that's not true. I reread chapter 13, and I realized Judas was not here during this time. He had already told, called out Judas was going to be the one to betray him at the end, near the end, before he gives the great, the new commandment to love one another. It says he identifies Judas, and Judas leaves. He sends Judas out to do whatever he needs to do, and he left. And then Je- Jesus continued talking through chapter 14, 15, 16, and began praying. So everyone that heard this profound teaching, it was the 11 disciples, not including Judas, that was a cool fact for you and me. I found that out like 11 o'clock last night with my wife. That was fun. Uh, so I want you right now as I continue to read, just to put yourself in the setting. You just had this experience. You had the Last Supper. Jesus has poured so much out before you and you believe in him and now he's closing. He's looking up to the Father in heaven and he's praying this prayer and he's praying this over you. He's praying this, por- this portion for you. And so read with me in chapter 17, verses 6. I, <clears throat> I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. 
But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the, wor- and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but, they, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. Jesus praying that right there over the disciples. There's so much packed in there that you can unfold for hours. But overall, there was one central thought throughout this prayer, and that is that thought of the world. He said world so many times. If you're reading and studying, I circled and highlighted every time he said that word world. He obviously calls out a separation of the world in which believers belong and which unbelievers belong. Verse 9, Jesus says he's praying for the disciples, not the world. Verse 11, Jesus says he's no longer in the world, but the disciples still are in the world. Verse 14, Jesus says he's given the disciples God's words And the world hated them. Why? Because they're not of the world just as he is not of the world. Verse 15, Jesus isn't asking to remove them from the world, but to protect them from the evil one while they're still in the world. Verse 16, again, he repeats that they are not of the world just as he is not of the world. Listen, as a Christ follower, it's obvious that we are no longer a part of the world around us. Jesus said it twice. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. But while we are still in this world, we are to be sanctified. Verse 17, he says, sanctify them in truth. This word sanctify literally means to set apart for holy service to God. We are to be set apart for holy service to God. But how? And he tells us this is the most easiest description there is. How how are we to be set apart for the holy service of God? How are we to be sanctified? It says in the truth. And he even answers that if you question what the truth is. He said God's word. God's word is the truth. God In God's word, God's truth is how we are to be set apart for holy service for God. This is what's going to distinguish us between the rest of the world. God's word. This is the means of which we are sanctified. And he goes on in verse 19 to say that he is going to sanctify himself just in case that wasn't enough. Jesus himself is going to set himself apart that we might also be sanctified in this truth. So, if you're still with me, and you're thinking, okay, I get it as a believer, um, don't be of this world, and we need to be set apart by God's word. I get it, but where is my purpose in that? Are you, anybody asking that question? Yes, maybe, no. It's packed, I'm going to answer it anyways. It's packed, it's sandwiched in between those two verses, verse 17 and verse 19, talking about being sanctified. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Remember who has all the authority over all flesh, Jesus does. Jesus is using that authority to send us into the world. He says we're not of the world, but he's sending us right back into the world in the same way that God sent him into the world. That is incredible. Y'all should like amen, cheer. Like, oh my gosh, what are we, what are we going to do in the world? Like, why are we, how are we going to be sent back into the world the same way that God sent Jesus into the world? That doesn't make sense. We cannot duplicate that because he sent his son to be the one final sacrifice on the cross. No one can duplicate that. 
We're not meant to duplicate that. He's, that's not what he means. We're meant to share in this mission of Jesus. Listen, this world sent, when he says sent, the way you sent me, the way I'm sending them, this word sent or apostello means set apart or to send out properly on a mission. On a mission. We get to share in this mission of Jesus. At the beginning of his prayer, remember he says the hour has come. His mission was complete. He finished his work. He glorified God on earth. That church is the core purpose of our life. It should be your heartbeat in everything that you have your hands in. Jesus said he did that by accomplishing the work God gave him to do. So just so we're clear what the purpose I'm calling out. Our purpose is to bring glory to God on this earth, period. Like that is our core purpose. That should be the engine that drives every single thing we do as individuals and everything that we do as a church. Only then, once that is clear, once we know that's the center, the center point, to bring God the glory, it's then safe to ask how. And that answer was given to us here by accomplishing the work God gives us to do. I'm afraid, I'm afraid too often we tend to do this backwards we find our purpose in the work that God gave us to do. We keep that at the center point of our life, just the work, what we are to do, um, and we completely forget about bringing glory to him. We just want to accomplish the work, and that's it. Or worse, maybe we come up with the work ourselves. We make the plans ourselves. We vision the outcomes. We work tireless, tirelessly to reach our goals, and we actually believe God is being glorified and well-pleased with us by that work. When in reality, with that mindset, we've brought him no more glory than we did when we were lost within the world. And if, if you still need more details for this purpose, all right, we know the purpose, that's the core purpose, and we know we're supposed to do the work. What's the work? If you're asking, well, how do I know what work God gives us to do? My answer is keep reading. Always just keep reading. It's in the Word, verse 20. He, that's where he switches his prayer for the disciples, the true followers of him, to the rest of the church, the future believers. Listen to what he says in verse 20. I do not ask for these things only. I, don't, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Oh, that's so good. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Jesus begins praying for future believers. That will, they, those believers that will come to faith, come to belief in Jesus through your words, through the disciples' words. I mean, come on. The bare minimum, at the bare minimum, our work should be to go into the world to share the message of Jesus. That's the bare minimum right here. When you don't know your purpose as a believer, it's to glorify God. Now go share his message of Jesus, the one he sent. Simple. That's so simple. It's so hard, but it's so simple. 
Jesus also prays that those future believers, once they believe and they come into our church, once they become into the global church, those future believers together with the disciples, they will become one just as the Father and Son are one. There will be complete unity within the church body. We can only accomplish that by true discipleship. So two, two things right out of the gates that we should do for our work. Share the message of Jesus and come together to be unified with God and the Father and the Son and to become one together through discipleship is how that happens. So share the word and disciple one another. All else will come from that. Um, when we do that, when we are together unified with the Father and the Son, we get a result. And that result, it comes in verse 21 and 23. He says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Is that not the great commission? Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is our work here in this world. We are sent to glorify God here on earth by accomplishing his work. That is to be set apart in truth to share the message of Jesus and to become completely unified through love and discipleship. So that the world, the world, we're not the world, that's the world. The world will believe in the only true God and the one whom he sent, Jesus Christ. And every time we think of Christmas, we should be reminded of that and celebrate in a huge way that Jesus was sent. So much more than just Jesus coming here to earth. He's accomplished a will. He brought glory to God, and he called us to that same mission to do. That's so huge. What time is it? It's closing time. That's what I have in my notes. Um, it's not too early, is it? No, it's never too early for Dino. I can't. It is, it is early enough I can bring out my little a freebie that I had that I come out of, the, out, of this, out of this text. If you notice, if you look at that, the way that's broken down, verse 1 through 5, Jesus praying for himself and Jesus praying for his disciples and then Jesus praying for the future of the church like that can be a model for our own personal prayer life. We can pray for ourselves in this type of way. We need to be praying for our church family, our disciples, the disciples we're here living amongst, and we need to be praying for the advancement of the church. But you notice he prayed much longer for his disciples and much longer for the future of the church than he prayed for himself. So we, our prayers for ourselves do not need to overtake, fill this room and tuck, we can tuck in the corner of a room just the prayer, the amount of prayers that we pray for each other and the rest of the church. Like we need to, we need to pray just little for ourselves so that we can just glorify God and pray a lot for our brothers and sisters and pray a lot for the rest of the church. That was the freebie. That wasn't in my notes, but I remember, I, I called it out. But as we, so wrap that all up, just wrap up this complete thought. Through this prayer, we get the authenticity of Jesus, who he was, why he came, and what he, we get our life purpose, why he called us here, what, what our job is in this. And we can see this in Christmas. Um, as we wrap this up, uh, if you're here today, this will be our altar time. If you need to come to the altar and pray, if you need to speak to anyone, listen, if you're here today, most of you, like I can see, there's enough of you here that I can look, I look at every one of you. I know y'all have been here for a long time. More than likely, you are a believer. You are already, you do not need to be called to salvation. Um, you've already received this gift. You've heard the message of Jesus. You believed. Like, 
celebrate that fact as we're getting ready to go into Christmas next week like this week celebrate the fact that you have that gift of eternal life like that's a celebration and once you're finished celebrating like thank God for that obviously that's in, in that celebration but ask God to be glorified through you and through your work ask God to help set you apart from the rest of the world by his word ask him to teach you what specific works he wants you to do so that you can bring glory to his name ask God to help unify us together as a church so that we can help others know him in this community if you are here today and this is new news if this is you've never heard Jesus before you never really heard that's who he is and that's why he came you didn't know what's what Christmas was really celebrated about maybe this is the first time um, it's exactly what you heard Jesus was sent to save the world and bring eternal life and he came he died we didn't even get into the death and the resurrection today um, I think Matt might be getting into that next week uh, he came he died he defeated death he be he was raised back to life he ascended back to heaven so that you like in the grand scheme of the entire universe like little bit of you might have a chance to have right relationship with the God of the universe like that is incredible and that's what we should think every time we hear the Christmas story so as I begin to pray if you need to come you can come if you need to call reach out and talk to somebody do this now I'm gonna close in prayer and then we'll sing one final song and then we'll call it a day call it a week father God thank you thank you for your word thank you for Christmas thank you for having a plan of redemption. Thank you for sending your son. We've seen it all throughout scripture. He knew his purpose. He knows why he was sent. God, thank you so much for sending him. And thank you for allowing him to bring glory to you on this earth and call out people to himself so that they can carry on that mission. Thank you for involving us and giving us a purpose in this life. It's so much bigger than us. It's so much bigger than what we think of it. God, our purpose is to bring you glory on this earth and to do whatever work that you've given us. So God, make this work clear to us as we move into the remainder of the year and we gear up for 2023. Just make that work known to us so your gospel can advance like never before. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your prayer and thank you for your word. Thank you for eternal life. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.